Hola, mi gente. Welcome to our first official episode of EntertainX, where we highlight the work and achievements of different Latinx individuals across the entertainment industry. I am your host, Ingrid Nin, and today we have a very special guest, my good sis, Jalissa Jimenez. Jalissa is a Black Latinx filmmaker and content creator. Her work focuses on the protection of women and the importance of mental illness. Her purpose is to create content that is inclusive to all audiences and gives an outlet for communities to have their voices heard. Hey, Jalissa, how are you? Hello, how y'all doing? I'm so excited to be here. Yes, we are excited to have you as our first official guest of our series. So you will always have that honor carried on to you no matter where you go. So you should be very proud of that. And I know your birthday is coming up. So happy early birthday to you. Thank you. You know, I'm, I'm turning 23. The big, um, what is it? That shit, Big Jordan 23. Type. I, I think that's the number. I'm just going to be 23. <laughs> well, 23 is still important. So happy birthday. And from all of us at EntertainX and all of our audiences, we love you. So thank you for coming on. you too. We got mine. Yes. Okay. So how are you feeling today? Because... With everything going on in the world, I have to ask. You know, um, for now, I'm vibing. I feel like, uh, especially throughout this year, with everything that went on, like, I had to really, like, tackle down my mental illness this year, which was really crazy, and just, like, tackle down, like, my generational trauma. So um, if you think of, like, just some people that are spiritual, like, know what, like, like shadow work is, like, I really had to just, like, reflect on, on so many things that... um like held me back and I feel like now I'm in a space where I'm just like accepting more to just like develop and change for the better of myself so yeah thank you you know I'm just um just now I'm vibing out here um doing my best you know kind of create yes girl I love that and speaking of creating I know in your 2019 interview with hip-hop film festival's IGTV series the 411 you mentioned that you create to build yourself as a person. Can you talk more about this in relation to your journey through filmmaking? I feel like art and my art it helps me um, build myself as a person. It was in relation to my mental illness because I wanted to learn how to better take care of myself. And and honestly, I feel like my art was a was a clarity of free therapy because I couldn't get um, therapy. And um, being a, in a Latinx house, um, not a lot of... Um, family members not a lot of latinx people in general believe that mental illness is real um so we just like we put it to the side so i feel like um my art and creating film and um like expressing my voice was a way for me to get that free therapy and sort of just have a conversation with myself and ask myself if i'm okay ask myself what is it that's going on with me and like re-educate myself to um to basically learn how to like balance my mental illness because I struggle with anxiety. I, um, I'm trying to um, sooner or later get tested for to see if I have autism. So yeah, it's been like, a, it's been a crazy road with that. So I'm just like, I'm grateful to have an, that outlet at least for me to push myself to um, heal these things. Wow, that is insane. And I completely understand with, you know, Latinx families saying like, oh, mental illness doesn't exist. Depression doesn't exist. You know, eso son cosa del diablo. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I just don't think it's real. And it's like, no, it's very real. And until, you know, we address those issues within our community and say, you know, these are valid things. Trauma is a valid thing that all of us need to heal from. Then, you know, we cannot progress, you know, 
not with no not only within our individual families but as a whole community together that's a fact like and i feel like that plays a big role with generational trauma like um we were i feel like the because you can't it's so hard to not blame your family for for that stuff either because we that literally comes from like generations of of like all the way to colonization like we were put in positions where we had to hold back our mental stability to survive so it's like i like the and we're still practicing that but it's gone to a point where it's just like why are we still practicing these things exactly it was a defense mechanism like we couldn't show emotion you know when our people were getting raped and enslaved right you know? we couldn't like break down and try to heal from that because of everything going on. And even till today, we have to keep like this image up with us to show people that we're being okay or that we are feeling okay, even if we're not, you know, even if our family home is not, as long as the image is there, then everything is okay, which is not the truth, you know? And I think as long as our community can introduce more vulnerability, I think so many of the issues that are like underlying you know, whether it's um, machismo or even colorism, that's, you know, super prevalent within our community. I think if we're more open and honest with each other about those topics and less likely to react whenever we do see like toxic behaviors, I think our community could progress so much as a people. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. I feel like, um, and especially within our generation, I, there has been way more people open to now like talking about like our emotions because, um, like like especially like our generation and younger because now we're to a point where we're just like okay what are we still practicing this for especially that now now like with social media we have all these outlets to like share these things it's not like an indoor secret no more exactly you know it's not and i think that's the beauty of it too that because of social media we've been able to learn like what generational trauma is or you know how to look for signs of depression within ourselves or within our loved ones i think that's the beauty of having all that information so accessible to us is that we get to see the signs and we get to relate with people as well who are going through similar experiences. And I think that's why I really, really love your IGTV series, How We Cope. And I know you just wrapped your season two of your series. So can you talk to our audiences and speak more about how that idea came into fruition and even how the pandemic affected your series and how did you keep the pandemic and all those mental health issues in mind while filming. Child, How We Cope was literally like uplifted literally from when I started discovering what mental illness was. I didn't not me not even knowing like and barely having educational mind on it. I didn't really look at mental illness till I was like in my last year of high school where I just had like this really ugly panic attack. And I was like, child, this is not normal. I should like I should be breathing. <laughs> I should be breathing. Child, what's going on? And then and then like and then to learn further um yeah so I was just like no like I need to learn like learn what mental illness first before I take any step further so and because I have a learning disability it's so hard for me to research um and, and physically read things especially with like with people that just like don't put personality to their writing like my learning disability dissociates from from all of that so I'm just like I had to like tell myself how can I teach myself um mental illness and I was like I'm an artist, so why not create um, a series on it? So um, How We Cope was literally developed for me to learn more about mental illness. That is amazing. And I, I can see the community you really built with that series. Because for me, myself, who also deals with like my anxiety issues and things like that, it resonates so much. And like you were saying, you know, not everyone has the accessibility to 
uh, educate themselves with articles and traditional forms of academia to learn about their mental illnesses. And that's why I think your show is so important because it truly is accessible for everyone. Yeah, but I was really, I think it really like touched my heart that it ended up building community because the more like when I started posting the first season, when it first came out, people were hitting me up about the show, feeling like um that they felt like they belong, that they started hitting up the people that I interviewed, thanking them for sharing their story. And it was just like, I thought that sh- that was that shit was so beautiful. Like, um, like I saw um people like community building in front of my eyes online on social media. And but then it's like not even social media because then these people now know each other in real life so i thought like i was like okay how we cope um has to continue so that's when i made season two um season two was harder um to shoot being that it was a pandemic so i had to like i had to change my equipment dynamic um really quickly because the first season i used the sony camera i was able to go to more locations and then this season was a little more tricky because everyone was on lockdown I was really blessed and lucky to have um, people that just didn't just want to be a part of it, but also literally showed up in front of my house and was ready to be interviewed. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> I was like, um, this this is going to work. And then what was different about season two is that it didn't just relate to like pandemic issues because there was there was people that were going through so many things at home and had to be um have to stay home because of the pandemic. So they were more trapped in their head. Some of them have to go back to abusive households and stuff. So it was a lot of that. But then, yeah, what made this um, series so different is that I shot it on an iPhone as well. The styling technique for that one was way different. I know um, because I because I couldn't really follow the subjects around and in their environment on what they do, because like with season one, I was able to follow the subjects more, um, go to to where they were at. But like. I brought the subjects here, so I decided to have them bring an object with them that um, that doesn't doesn't just connect with them, but also connects with their mental illness and how probably that object um, helped them learn about their mental illness. And I had a bunch of people bring like like different like this in the season in the first episode of season two. My friend Diani brought her violin, and I was shocked because I'm just like she's a filmmaker and like I met her in in film school, and she was like, but this was an object that helped me learn about my autism and my ADHD. And she was like, she was like, with that form of art that it taught her, you know, her, her autism influences her art. And she sees that such a, in such a positive light. And I was just like, wow. It, it's insane what you've been able to do and to grow within the past two seasons. And I'm really, if you're doing season three, I am very, very excited to see what you have on there because I know that for everyone who watches, it's truly a, a a real source of comfort, I should say. And I know through that too, you were able to do Art in the Park. Yes. Oh my God. I was excited about this because How We Cope was actually featured in Art in the Park because I tried to create How We Cope as like a digital um, program. I just included our, um, How We Cope and Art in the Park because Art in the Park had to do with using art to heal your mental stability during, especially during the pandemic. Like that was such a, it was my cousin's idea. So I worked with um, my cousin, Michelle Cuevas. And um, her, it was her and um, her friend Eureka that both um, basically funded money for this event. So we had like a po- a poetry slam during the event. We had um, people painting. Those people that just brought food to vibe. Child, there was a free reading. There was just so much beautiful things going on. No, I watched the video where you highlight everyone and you're interviewing everyone, and you guys were also doing like yoga at the same time too. And it just 
just from the vibes watching the video, it seemed like it was such a place of healing and such a place of just calmness. And like you said before, you know, I think it did give the opportunity for people to get out of their homes if they did have, you know, a toxic uh, home environment at the time, or even if they're just like struggling with their own mental illness from isolation. Um, I'm really happy that you were able to even showcase that through your series as well, because I know that it's really important to show that there is a community of people, you know, who are by POC, not even just Latinos, uh, who can come together and to heal and to grow from what they're struggling through. Yes, yes, yes. Um, that was that was one of the big things too, which is like how we cope in like like all these events that we pulled is the is is how the way I highlight um um POC communities point blank period, especially like POC communities within the LGBTQ community that were just like, um they were really fucking going through it. So we were like my show does it I really highlight on that because it's one thing to have mental illness, but it's one thing to have mental illness when you are ethnic. <laughs> <laughs> it's that is a whole other is a whole other level of mental illness because you're and i only say that because um from my experience because i grew up in in um in rich um caucasian schools um the beginning of my life and the way i used to like like i like watch a lot of like other white peers around me just like have free access to therapy and i'm just like like i never even thought that that was even possible like and i'm think i'm and they're telling me why don't i have a therapist i'm just like child i can't afford a therapist <laughs> No, we don't. We not wealthy like that out here. What do you mean? Like I have, I remember that in Pacific, this one girl was like, "Yeah, I have a therapist for my parents being divorced." I said, "You can get therapy for that." I said, "That's real." I said, "You have a therapist for that." I said, "Child, my parents hate each other <laughs> from birth." I'm like, "Where is my therapist?" <laughs> Child, that's a thing. That's you a heal. I'm what? like, I'm like you, but no, but the worst part for me was like, you needed a therapist for that. <laughs> that is just the peak of, that is just a sprinkle of trauma compared to all this shit I've seen. Child, I need a therapist for, for the pathophobia, <laughs> for the racism. <laughs> for the body distortion, the, the, the body morphia, like the emotional and physical abuse. <laughs> Where's my therapist? <laughs> But I think that's so beautiful why your show even exists because it even shows that like it's universal. It's not just for even, you know, the Latino community or for POCs or, you know, just a luxury white people can have, but it's for everyone. You know, I think that's the really beautiful thing about your show. It's like everyone goes through this, no matter what color they are, no matter what size they are, no matter their sexual orientation or their gender identity. It's for everyone. Right. And I feel like that feeling of wholeness. And I think something I want to also tackle now you have me thinking about it, which it would be really dope is it's like, like, it's one thing that we all understand mental illnesses and they come out differently. And to for everyone to respect one another from like how the way they, they develop their mental illnesses. Yes. Okay. So to pivot on from here, I know in your website's bio, you say that your hair encouraged your journey as a filmmaker. I thought that line was so interesting. So can you speak more to that and how it really inspired you to go into film as well? Okay. Um, so yeah, I put, I, that was around the time that I had my hair journey in general, because I, if I'm Dominican and Puerto Rican, but I'm also like, I'm the, like Afro-Latina. So especially being Dominican, like it is very like traditionally like taught in our culture, like 
not not in our culture, but taught like an Americanized culture that are hearing shit and we have to make it as straight as possible. And and um especially be Puerto Rican Dominican, that is that is very that was very um heavily um influenced on me at birth. Like they saw an afro in my head and they said, nah child. They said whitewash that shit. So <laughs> lo bueno, pero malo. Yes. You already know. Yes. So and it's like again, I don't take um I don't like to take things so personally because I know like I know where these practices come from. Like, so like of course, like I talked to my grandma about this already, where I'm just like, yeah, listen. I can't do this because then I got I got older to a point in my life where I'm just like, okay, these hair salons is forty to fifty dollars a week. Um, I cannot properly wash my hair. Like it always smells like um, it always smells like a hot as iron. Like I was just not I was not doing it. It was not cute. So, and it really developed. It was a it was an aspect one of my aspect one of the aspects of my insecurity that it it was that it was developing. So I I came to a point when I was twenty one. Where I was like, okay, I'm cutting, I'm cutting my hair off. I was like, I couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't not just afford it, but I do not feel beautiful looking like this. So I cut all my hair off, and it was like, I got a lot of lash. Um, what is that called? Lash lash back. Yes, yes, I got a lot of that. And but then I don't know. But after I cut off my hair, I started like to the experience of that was very interesting because the more I felt like it grew throughout time because at first I didn't really know what to do with it but I felt like the more it grew the more I was developing and understanding my identity more some people with afro journeys is very different but mine was very interesting in a way where I was just like like I cut it I cut my hair at a time where I was growing as well and I felt like that was really compatible so I took it as such a metamorphical image where I felt like the more I feel like I was growing the more that my afro was growing and right now child my afro is big <laughs> girl I saw I see your pictures but it is beautiful I always see you and I'm like yes like go off afro queen like thank you so beautiful so gorge I love it I I'd be trying so like yeah I feel like um I took that metaphor of my of when my hair grows grows I grow as a person I took that metaphor within my art because I feel like it's the same thing when you're an artist like I feel like the more that I was learning about myself as well the more that my art was growing because the more experiences that I had about myself the more I was able to reflect that on my work and I and I was able to present it to an audience of people that also understand these um these concepts and understand these topics as well so my like my hair journey was definitely equivalent to my artwork because um, in the way they were both um, growing and developing into like into like so many beautiful ways into his highest self. And I was just like, yeah, I was like, this makes sense. Oh, my gosh. I, I love that. Like, yes, the higher your hair grows, the higher you get to your higher self. Yes. Yes. That part. <laughs> there you go. There you go. OK, so also on the topic of hair, as an Afro-Latina filmmaker, what do you think Hollywood could do to better represent other Afro-Latinxes in film? And how has that propelled you into the journey that you're taking within filmmaking? Oh, it's a very simple answer for me. Start hiring us. Give us a job. <laughs> yep. Give us a job. Put us in Hollywood, child. And I'm not talking about, and and, and but that also falls under the same um, issue with diversity hire. And hiring us because because we are of certain ethnicity, which is what which is a I started to realize is a really big problem in this industry, where they only hire us for um to to just like boost up the diversity that the di diversity limit that they have in their space, and then put us nowhere. They keep us in that same position for like five to six years to like 
till like they're fed up and they fucking leave. And I've seen this happen to a lot of other people I know that I'm friends with. And it's just like, it, it always, sometimes it always leaves me in a position where I get scared because I'm just like, I do not want to become that diversity hire to be stuck in the same position. I am, I am very um, big on developing and, and moving to anywhere I do and everywhere I go and being in that position I want to be in. So to have to worry that the color of my skin is going to uh, hinder that is like, is, is re- it's just ridiculous to even think about. It truly is. And it, I feel like with the way our industry is progressing right now, it's at a very stable end because we're seeing all these changes happening at the upper scale of our industry. You know, all these executives, all these um, executives of color coming in and being promoted, which is beautiful, which is great. You know, I think that's very important too, to help all of us be uh, uplifted to get all of us to raise up the ranks but at the bottom level of like where we're starting the entry-level jobs there's still predominantly you know white or middle-class people going into those roles and until we address those disparities at the bottom at you know below the line levels within production we're never going to really see change being affected in that way you know until we address those disparities that affect us whether it comes to like even being paid equally so we can be able to afford our things because obviously a lot of IPOC people come from lower income backgrounds when compared to their uh white counterparts and being paid you know basic minimum wage does not help with that especially when we're going starting out in the industry so I agree with you completely yeah I joined a program called Works, and what I love about them their job is so beautiful because they're in the center of making sure that a lot of like a lot of P- um, POC workers that want to work in film, they can transition them into these spaces in a healthier way. Because like I know I know a lot, of, especially like like young people that are POC that that try to like get into these positions. Like some of us end up in dangerous situations. And some of some of us end up in like tricky situations where like we don't get paid. We're working for free for for someone telling us that, oh, that this this will be a good opportunity for your resume type i know you i know a lot of us heard of that like just like basically working free labor for these sets that don't really give us anything back um like i like me definitely i've been in situations like that because i i want i wanted to rank up where i've like worked for people that had me working at like two in the morning getting getting um coffee and <laughs> all the coffee spots are closed <laughs> And I was like, child, this is slavery. I was like, (laughs) and it was like, and the fact that I was that stressed out, I went home like in pain. And then to get such a small amount of money, I was just like, this is so ugly. And it's it's something that and specifically a lot of like um um um, people within the film industry that um that are POC that that go through all this shit where we would take anything. to um want to want to get in, in these positions but that's that's why like what i like about reworks is that they're demolishing that that aspect of what we go through that's why they want to take they take um college students from like Brooklyn college and a, b- a bunch of other film schools and they, they transition them into like these spaces which is why i was able to work for jack's media when i did um like reworks like the connected me with jack's media and i was i i'm i at least made sure that i was working in a space where I was like, okay, I'm going to get money and I'm going to get an opportunity from this. And it's like, we need more of that. <laughs> we need those organizations that can come in and help these companies realize that there needs to be more equity being done, you know, not just giving us, you know, letting us into these spaces, but also ensuring that 
be being treated equally, that there are no microaggressions within these communities or not within these communities, but within these spaces, and that we're being treated fairly for it overall. We're being treated like humans. And I feel like that's the big thing. Like Exactly. Because even in some spaces I worked in, like it's so hard to start up a conversation without someone being scared to say something. Like I had people avoid me because <laughs> they didn't want to say nothing. And I'm just like, it's not like, it's not that hard. Like we just want to be treated as people. We just want to be included. And we, but not just in, in, in socially, but we'll be included into, into like the, into the work being done. We want those, we want our voices to be weight or um, as equal, at least as equally heard. Like, and, and I feel like that's why with Hollywood, like it's so simple, just let Afro Latinx people in the industry, let them tell, tell these stories. And with, and maybe if we do that, there will be a better representation of the Latinx community point blank period. Cause right now the representation is very, is very low. And even when it is there, it's very white oriented, you know, it's very white passing Latinxes and that's not cute. It's not okay. You know, because we all come in different shades and different colors. And you know, whether you're Afro-Latino, Indigenous Latino, you should be able to be fairly represented within our community. That is such a fact. The only person I, I could think about digitally that I've seen is, um, what's her name? Amegra. Oh, um, Amara La Negra. Yes, her, her mind. That's the only, I can say, Afro-Latinx um, woman I've seen, like, in, in terms of media itself. There's, there is, I know, like, like there's, there's um, Evie Queen. But she's a musician. But then, but then, see, see how it's hard for me to think about a, a Latinx person in film. Yeah, no, it's it's hard. But like an Afro Latinx, because the fact that we like there's we like they, there's there's been some signs of indigenous to white to white passing. But then even when indigenous um um Latinx people like they get into positions as a maid like on some or just like. But then, like, when it's just so weird how colorism plays a role in Hollywood because when a person is black on camera, they never distinguish their ethnicity at all, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Like, like, some like someone will watch it be like, oh, straight up African American. It's like, child, what? Like, I just found out that you know, the Bernie Mac show, yeah, one of the boy in that show is Afro Latino. Really? When I found out, I said, see where the problem lies? <laughs> I said, I would have never. But this something told me he was Afro-Latino because he was acting very, like, especially around that age in the show, that's how fucking Latino boys be acting, like devils. <laughs> <laughs> he was acting, he was acting the fuck up and always whining. I said, I knew there was a Latino in that fucking kid. Yo, bro, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, no one thing reminded me of my, of, of my, of my, of my male cousins. Like this, like, oh my God. But that was like, that's the issue right there. Like there's no, like, especially with Afro, like Latinx, there's just no, there's no one to distinguish what ethnicity means and how it looks like, especially in our culture. And they need, they need to just, something needs to fucking come out and, and start educating these people. <laughs> and like these stories, like these stories do need to develop um, more where, where it was just like, it makes it more normalized that Afro, Afro-Latinx communities, we look like everyone or, and everything because we all come to different shades of color. That's just how it works. You know, the first... Afro-Latino I've ever saw even be featured on like Emmy Award or anything like that. Jarrell Jerome. Mm. And he was in the, the Central Park 5 um, series oh. that aired last year. Or not last year, 2019, since we're in 2021. You know, did you know he was Dominican? No. <laughs> no one. Girl, 
It's Dominican. You know, that's why I think it's so important. We, you know, not even just only in U.S. programming, but within Spanish programming, too. We need to have those people be present on there, mm -hmm. you know, for the Jarel Jerobes, for the Yalitza Aparicios. Like, they exist, you know, and they look like us. I don't understand what's not clicking with these executives to not being featured that, like, to not feature them. You know what I mean? I feel like nothing, nothing, nothing's clicking with them because that's not their experience. I feel like that's where the problem is. That's why I say start hiring more filmmakers that can that, that can tell these stories better. Because it's like it's like white Hollywood wants to act like they don't know what to do. Of course, you don't know what to do. Start hiring new people. Start hiring people like us. <laughs> start accepting the stories of the people who look like us who do know what to do. Period. Period. That's why it's until we get more stories that bring more equality and equity to the to the mainstream, we're never going to be able to see people who look like us because people won't be able to see that impact or even call for that because mm -hmm. they can't call for what they don't see. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about you more again. So tell us what you're working on now. What does work look like for you in the age of COVID? Girl, um, so um, I, it's been hard for me to work on a few things, but I was also very lucky to um, to capture. Uh, I'm gonna be pitching um, an, a cooking um, show idea for um, Jigsaw Productions. Congratulations! That's so exciting. Thank you. Like, um, so I'm gonna be pitching um, a, a cooking um, series for them, and the cooking series is gonna. They want the cooking series to feature um, POC um, chefs. So I was able to find a few chefs for them. I was able to find a chef that was just that was just on the show Chopped. And um, I'm going to be pitching an idea with them. And the show is going to be centered on POC chefs that with, within different ethnicities and how can they express their dishes that um, represents their ethnicity. So like you, we were just talking about, like, for example, if like this one chef being um being afro um latina but she's puerto rican so her expressing her a puerto rican dish and talking about being a puerto rican afro latina that is amazing thank you so i'm gonna be pitching that you know i love that i cannot wait to watch i i'm a huge fan of cooking shows i love me some in the gardener and i cannot wait to like see the poc version of that and like just more inclusivity within like the reality space in general that is amazing oh my gosh thank you oh my god i can't wait to pitch it like i'm so excited um and then i'm gonna be in a lingerie shoot <gasps> oh Girl. that's gonna be so interesting because i like growing up with so much fat phobia like i definitely like have like this i have a really hard way of expressing my body because especially with fat phobia in general in this fucking country like the lack of support with with plus size women so it's gonna be really interesting that's gonna be an interesting experience for me i'm very nervous but at the same time i'm excited because i'm finally able to embrace that part of myself i am so excited i cannot wait to see the shoot like uh, oh my god i am uh, as someone who's also experiences fat phobia it's gonna be amazing i'm gonna be so excited for you i'm probably gonna cry to be honest because <laughs> I'm, I'm just so excited thank you you know i'm just i'm really blessed and, and it's so funny because all these opportunities literally came up after the ball dropped <laughs> so i'm like girl 2021 it's new opportunities for you new opportunities for everyone I feel like all creatives are just going to be flourishing. They're going to be like, here, my work. <laughs> <laughs> Period. Oh, my God. But yes, that's what I'm currently working on now. Um, I'm, I'm excited to work on more things further. I'm just like, I'm just so happy right now. Yes. Oh, my God. You're really starting off 2021 with a bang. 
I cannot wait to see. So for everyone else who's listening to see what you're doing, where can they follow you? Where can they find you? So I have a website called Jalissa Film. So if they want to look more on my work and what I do, that's like the perfect website to see my content. If they want to contact me or and see all my social media content from there, they can go to Negra Latina underscore underscore. And that's I'm literally on Instagram and and you, y'all can just like hit me up. Um, my my email um is there um open to contact me. But yeah, please follow Delissa because she is an amazing creator, just an amazing individual in general. And thank you so much for joining us today on Entertain Next. You're amazing. I love you so much. I love you too. Thank you for inviting me. This has been such a, a healing moment. I love talking about these things. So thank you. Well, that is it for today, y'all. Please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Entertainix Now. And be sure to tune in next time for another episode of Entertainix.